السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه يجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وسلم تسليما Respects and listeners As promised Inshallah today I'll conclude our many weeks of discussion on the topic of hypocrisy and its characteristics by explaining the famous hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the traits of hypocrisy. They are actually two hadith, both overlapping and very similar. However, there are one or two things mentioned in one hadith that are not mentioned in the other. So the two hadith in question are, first of all, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhima, both relate from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Ayatul munafiqi thalath Iza haddatha kathab Wa iza wa'ada akhlaf Wa iza atumina khan The signs of a hypocrite are three When he speaks, he lies When he promises He contravenes that promise And when he is entrusted with a trust he betrays that trust. The second hadith is also related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim from another Sahabi, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhuma, in which he relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَرْبَعٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَ مُنَافِقٍ خَالِسًا وَمَنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِّنْهُنْ كانت فيه خصلة من النفاق حتى يدعها إذا أتمن خان وإذا حدث كذب وإذا عاهد غدر وإذا خاصم فجر Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said there are four things which if found in a person then he is a pure hypocrite منافق خالصة and whoever has any one of these four things in him then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he leaves it. Number one, when he's entrusted with a trust, he breaks that trust. He betrays that trust. Number two, when he speaks, he lies. Number three, when he pledges, he deceives and is treasonous. And number four, when he falls into conflict when he disputes, he sins. So in this hadith you have four traits. In the previous hadith of Abu Hurairah you have three traits. And two are overlapping. When he is entrusted with a trust, he betrays that trust. And the other one is when he speaks, he lies. These two are identical in both hadith. 
In the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an, you've got another trait, which is وَإِذَا وَعْدَ أَخْلَفْ When he promises, he contravenes that promise. And then, in the other hadith, you have another wording which is actually similar. Some ulama have considered the two to be the same. And what's that wording? وَإِذَا عَاهَدَ غَدَرْ That when he pledges, when he agrees a treaty, he deceives. So some ulama have considered this to be the same as the other wording, which is وَإِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفْ When he promises, he breaks a promise. However, others are of the opinion that no, these are actually quite distinct. There's some similarity, but they are distinct. And inshallah, I will explain the distinction between the two. So that this means in total we now have four traits. And then the final thing mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Al-As, which is not mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu is وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ fajr that when he falls into dispute, he sins. So here we have, to- we have a total of five traits. When he speaks, he lies. When he is entrusted with a trust, he betrays that trust. When he makes a promise, he breaks that promise. When he pledges, he proves to be deceiving and treasonous. And number five, when he disputes, he sins. Inshallah, I'll explain all five of these uh, today. There are, I've been speaking recently over, the, over many weeks about the traits of hypocrisy as mentioned in the Holy Qur'an. There are other traits mentioned in the hadith of Rasulullah as well. However, many of those are already covered in the Holy Qur'an. There is one very famous one, which is related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, which isn't to be found in the Qur'an, because it contains the Ansar Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Ayatul imani hubbul ansar wa ayatul nifaqi bughdul ansar. It's a hadith laid by Imam Bukhari and others. That the sign of iman, faith, is a love of the ansar companions. And the sign of hypocrisy is the hatred of the ansar. And in one narration, الْأَنصَارُ لَا يُحِبُّهُمْ إِلَّا مُؤْمِنٌ وَلَا يُبْغِضُهُمْ إِلَّا مُنَافِقٌ فَمَنْ أَحَبَّهُمْ أَحَبَّهُ اللَّهُ وَمَنْ أَبْغَضَهُمْ أَبْغَضَهُ اللَّهُ The Ansar companions, and who were the Ansar? The, these were the indigenous Arabs of Medina who embraced Islam slightly before the arrival of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the hijrah or after his hijrah but they weren't from Makkah al-Mukarramah and they weren't from out of the city of Medina these were the indigenous Arabs as well as others of al-Madinat al-Munawwara who embraced Islam and who most importantly uh, who supported and assisted and strengthened and sheltered Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
This is why they earn the honorific title of the Ansar, the helpers and the assistants of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet Sallallahu says in this other narration that the Ansar, only a believer will love them and only a hypocrite will hate them. So whoever loves them, Allah will love him and whoever hates them, Allah will hate him. So th this is one famous hadith about the, one of the traits of hypocrisy, which obviously is not mentioned in the Holy Quran. And apart from this hadith, there are a few other hadith which speak about some of the traits. The, many of them are already covered in the verses of the Holy Quran. But the reason for speaking about these two hadith and the five traits covered in these two hadith of Abu Hurairah and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas is that these, are, these two hadith are some of the most famous and most authentic ones regarding the traits of hypocrisy. So this is what we will discuss. And with the discussion of these two hadith, I'll bring the topic of hypocrisy and its traits to a conclusion. So the first of these five traits is when he speaks, he lies. Now allow me to spend a bit of time speaking about this one sentence from this hadith. Because in the hadith of Abu Hurairah it's the first thing mentioned. Ayatul Munafiq Thalath. The signs of a hypocrite are three. And in the narration of Sahih Muslim, do you know what the wording is? Ayatul Munafiq Thalath wa in Sama wa Salla wa Zama annahu Muslim. The signs of a hypocrite are three, even if he fasts and prays and claims that he is a Muslim. This is a narration, one of the narrations of Sahih Muslim. Ayatul Munafiq Thalath. وَإِنْ صَامَ وَصَلَّى وَزَعَمَ أَنَّهُ مُسْلِمٌ The signs of a hypocrite are three. Even if he fasts and prays and claims that he is a Muslim. And the first of the three is, إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ When he speaks, he lies. Lying is probably the most famous trait and characteristic of a, of a hypocrite, of a munafiq. And in this hadith, it's the first one to be warned of. But before I actually speak about the sin of lying with the tongue, let me broaden this topic by speaking about sidq and gadib. In Arabic, lying is kadib, and the antonym, the opposite, is sidq, truthfulness. But as is the case with many Arabic words that we are imported into other languages, the meaning becomes very narrow and restricted. Sidq is one of those meanings that's become restricted. 
because we think sidq just means truthfulness, i.e. in speech. But the original meaning of sidq in Arabic is not just honesty and truthfulness in speech. It's a much broader meaning. It's about being true. Being true in speech, in promise, in pledges, in character, in sincerity, in friendship. It means being true. Not so much just being truthful, rather being true as a person. And that says a lot. So when we say sadiq in Arabic, we don't just mean the person is truthful in speech. Sometimes children are very honest in speech. They're very truthful in their innocence, despite all their flaws of character as children. They are very honest and truthful in speech because of their innocence, although they may be very flawed of character in many other ways. So being truthful in speech by itself, of course, it's good, but it doesn't portray the meaning of sidq in the Arabic language, i.e. being true. And allow me to give you one very clear example of this. In Surah Al-Baqarah, there's a very long verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَيْسَ الْبِرَّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ قِبَلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ Virtue is not that you turn your faces towards the east or the west, i.e. in formal ritual prayer, which is such a profound verse. Wallahi. It tells us from the very outset that, oh believers, do not think that you're facing the Qibla and you're performing Salah and you're bowing and standing and prostrating. This in itself is virtue, righteousness and piety. Because it isn't. So virtue is not that you turn your faces towards the east or the west. Rather, virtue is of that person who believes in Allah and in the final day and in the angels and in the book and in the prophets. And then, and in the love of Allah, or one of the translations could actually be, despite the love of wealth, virtue is of that person who gives in charity to whom? the relatives, and the orphans, and the needy, the poor and destitute, and to the traveller, and to those who beg, and in the way of freeing slaves,
and virtues of that person who establishes salah and gives zakah. So Allah mentions zakah here, but he's already mentioned giving in charity to relatives, orphans, travelers in the way of freeing and emancipating slaves, and to the beggars and the needy. So is there a repetition? No. This is the beauty of this verse. Allah says, zakah comes later. Obligatory zakah comes later. Voluntary charity comes before. That's true virtue. So, and a lot with the aforementioned things, Allah says, virtues of that person who establishes salah and gives zakah. وَالْمُوفُونَ بِعَهْدِهِمْ إِذَا عَاهَدُوا and virtues of those people who fulfill their pledges when they do make a pledge. And virtues of those people who are perseverant in affliction and in hardship and in conflict. Then Allah says, he ends the verse. He's mentioned so much, hasn't he? So much has been mentioned. Allah says, these are the qualities of virtue, of righteousness and piety. And then having mentioned all of these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends the verse with the words, These are the people who are true. See, this is what I mean by Sidq. Sidq, truthfulness, isn't just about speaking the truth. Sidq in Arabic means being true as a person in character. A person's whole character is true. So Allah ends the verse by saying, These are the people who are true. Not that they've spoken the truth. These are the people who are true. They are true to Allah. They are true in faith. They are true to the book. This is why in that famous hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Prophet said, Deen, religion, is nasiha. Now we often translate this as, is advice, but that's a, a partial translation. Again, it's one Arabic has, the Arabic word nasiha has a much broader, much greater meaning than advice. Advice, good counsel, is a mere minute portion of nasiha. So, the hadith is, actually means ad-deenun nasiha. Religion is sincerity, it's purity. Religion is purity. Nasah, nusah means purity. That's why Allah says in a verse, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu tubu ila Allahi tawbatan nasuha. O oh, believers, turn to repent to Allah, a sincere repentance. Tawbat al-Nasuha, a sincere repentance. 
So the meaning of the hadith is deen is nasiha, meaning sincerity, purity. So the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, for whom, to whom, meaning purity to whom, sincerity to whom? So the Prophet وسلم, said, to Allah, to his messenger, to his book, to the Muslims, leaders and laity alike. So that's the meaning of nasiha, to be sincere. And the, one of the meanings of to be sincere is to be true. And that's the meaning here. These are the people who are true. They are true to Allah. They are true to the Messenger. They are true to the Book of Allah. They are true to each other. So, Sidq isn't just speaking the truth, it means being true in every sense of the word in speech, in promise, in pledge, in character in behavior, in deed, in intention, in mind, in heart. And that is a truly lofty position. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of them that these are the ones. <coughs> these shall be the ones with those on whom Allah has showered his favor. Who are the ones that Allah has showered His favor on? Min al-Nabiyyin, wa siddiqin wa shuhada wa salihin wa hasuna ulaika rafiqa of the prophets and the siddiqin, the veracious ones. So who are? And the verse continues: uh, the prophets, the siddiqin, the true ones, the veracious ones. And the martyrs were shuhada, salihin, and the pious ones were hasuna ulaika rafiqa, and beautiful a company are these people. So those people on whom Allah has showered His favor and blessing, and who shall be raised and resurrected along with the anbiya, the prophets, the martyrs. And the truly pious are the Siddiqeen. In fact, even before the martyrs and before the pious, and immediately after the prophets, Allah mentions the Siddiqeen. So who are the Siddiqeen? They aren't just the people who speak the truth. They are the people of truth. They are the true ones. So we need to understand the meaning of Siddiq. So before I speak about the first trait of hypocrisy, which is, when he speaks, he lies. I wanted to mention something about the opposite of lying, which is sidq. The antonym of lying is sidq. But sidq just doesn't mean speaking the truth. It means being true. And this is why Allah praises the people of truth. In Surah Al-Ahzab, إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ Indeed, the Muslim men and the Muslim women and the believing men and the believing women. وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ And the devout men and the devout women. وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ And the true men and the true women. 
And then Allah ends the verse by, it continues. والصابرين والصابرات والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما and the patient man and the patient women and the humble man and the humble women and the fasting man and the fasting women and the charitable man and the charitable women and those men who remember Allah often, and those women who remember Allah often, and the chaste men and the chaste women, and the, those who remember Allah amongst the men and those who remember Allah amongst women, for all of them Allah has prepared forgiveness and a great reward. So right at the beginning of the verse, after mentioning Muslim men, Muslim women, mu'min, believing men, believing women, devout men and devout women, Allah mentions as-sadiqeen as-sadiqat, the true men and the true women. And as I said, sidq is not restricted to just speaking the truth, it means being true. And that's a lofty position. It's a very difficult position to be achieved. It means being true in every way. And speaking of Surah Al-Ahzab, just prior to these verses, Allah, because Surah Al-Ahzab is named after the hordes, which refers to the uh, alliance of the Arabs that besieged the city of Medina in the fifth year of Hijrah. This was a very large army that had gathered, well over 10,000. And the Quraysh had allied with other hostile tribes from around Medina. And they laid siege to the city of the, uh, of the Prophet wasallam. It was a very critical juncture. In fact, this was now the greatest threat to the Muslims than ever before. Even the Battle of Badr, even the Battle of Uhud, and all of the other skirmishes and minor battles that took place prior to this a siege of Al-Madinat Al-Munawwarah in the fifth year of Hijrah, none of them had posed as great a threat as this. Because, one, because of the numbers. The Battle of Badr, the Quraysh were a, th- uh, were a thousand strong, but the battle was far removed from the city of Medina. The Battle of Uhud, although they came to Medina, they were only 3,000 strong. Now, two years later, the... Quraysh had mustered an army of 10,000 that included them and many other hostile tribes. So this was an alliance of tribes, hordes. This is why this siege came to be known as Ghazbatul Ahzab as well as Ghazbatul Khandaq, the uh, campaign or the Battle of the Trench. In fact, there wasn't a, a great battle anyway because the siege actually ended, and there were a few minor skirmishes in which very, very few people actually uh, passed away. But uh, this was known as the Battle of the Trench and the Battle of the Hordes, and the, because Allah re- uh, uses that word in the surah. So that's what the surah is about, Surah Al-Ahzab. And regarding the Ahzab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, because this was such a critical juncture, Many of the hypocrites thought that now is the time when we shall be rid of and relieved of Muhammad and his companions. And this was the time when many of the hypocrites 
made the intention of openly switching allegiance because they felt this is the moment. We will be rid of this man and his companions for good. And also when the enemy laid siege to the city, the hypocrites began mocking the Muslims, began mocking the Prophet and his words and his promises. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of that, And when the believers saw the factions, the hordes, they said, this is what Allah and his message, messenger promised us. And Allah and his messenger spoke the truth. And this, this whole threat, it did not increase them except in faith and in submission. Then Allah continues, of the believers, there are men who have been true to the pledge that they pledged to Allah. And of them, there are those who have fulfilled their pledge. And of them are those who continue to wait. Meaning, to show that they have fulfilled their pledge, not uh, waiting to decide whether they will fulfill or not. But of the believers, there are those who have already fulfilled their pledge. And of them are those who are waiting to fulfill their pledge. And they have not changed, even the slightest, meaning in their resolve to fulfill their pledge and honor their pledge to Allah. So that Allah continues. So that Allah may reward the true for their truth. For their truth. And so that Allah may punish the hypocrites. Insha, if he wishes. Or Allah may relent to them. Verily, Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the words, بِصِدْقِهِمْ So that Allah may reward the true for their truth. But here, the true is not a reference to them speaking the truth. It's a reference to, their, to the truth of their character. That their character is so true that despite this mortal threat, they remained patient, perseverant, believing, faithful, loyal. And they were true to Allah. They were true to the Messenger They were true to their faith. They were true to their promise. They were true to their pledge to Allah. This is the meaning of Sidq. Now, having said this, of course, I can continue. There are so many other verses that speak about Sidq being true rather than just speaking the truth. So this is the opposite of lies. Sidq is the opposite of Qadib. Sidq is being true. And Qadib 
doesn't just mean lying, it means being false. That's the opposite, being false. And when the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned these five traits in these two hadith, you will see that every one of them stems from falsehood. Every one of them. This is why they are all connected to the first one. When he speaks, he lies. That's just one manifestation of the falsehood of that person. The person isn't genuine. They are hollow. They are empty. They are a fraud. They are false. And lying is just one manifestation, one aspect of their fraudulent character, of their being, of their falsehood, of their hollowness, of their emptiness, of their insincerity, of their not being genuine. Who wants such a person? Neither the creation nor Allah the creator. You want a friend? You want a friend who's true to you, not who's false. You want a fellow who's true, not false. You want a spouse, a husband or a wife, who is true, not false. And true doesn't just mean that he speaks the truth, she speaks the truth, but rather true in every way. Sincere, true, loyal, faithful, honest, just true as a person. So all of these five traits that the Prophet ﷺ mentions stem from falsehood and lack of sidq, lack of truth, lack of being true. So let's look at the first one, when he speaks he lies. This is probably the most famous characteristic and trait of hypocrisy. Prophet ﷺ mentions it here first, and throughout the Qur'an, Allah often refers to the lying of the hypocrites. In fact, right at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the very first few verses when he speaks of them, he says, فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرَضًا وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ In their hearts there is a disease, so Allah increased them in disease. And for them is a painful punishment because they would lie. That's who the hypocrites were. They would lie. It came naturally to them. Throughout the Quran, Allah always speaks of their lying. Surah Al Munafiqun. إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُنَافِقُونَ قَالُوا نَشْهَدُ إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُ اللَّهُ اللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُهُ وَاللَّهُ يَشْهَدُ إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَكَاذِبُونَ When the hypocrites come to you, they say, Indeed, verily, we, te- indeed we testify that verily you are the messenger of Allah. Allah testifies that indeed the hypocrites are most assuredly lies. In Surah At-Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of the story of the of Masjid al-Dirar, the Masjid of Harm. The Masjid of Harm. 
والذين اتخذوا مسجدا ضرارا وكفرا وتفريقا بين المؤمنين وإرصادا لمن حارب الله ورسوله من قبل ولا يحلفن إن أردنا إلا الحسن والله يشهد إنهم لكاذبون And they, the hypocrites, built a masjid ضرارا in harm Some people, one of the things this verse shows some people are, they feel they are so some people are so judgmental that just because they disagree with the, some of the beliefs or the ideology or the uh, masail and the views and the practices of a different group of people, they refuse to call their masjid a masjid. So just because they, they are a, 50 mas masajid in a city, 50 masajid in a city, and they disagree with 49 of them. So, and this is a fact, just because they disagree with the views of the other 49 masajid, or the people who frequent these other 49 masajid, even though these other 49 masjids fulfill all the role and practice of being a masjid. They actually refuse to call them masjids. They say, we, we, can't, we won't call them a masjid. We refuse to call them masjids. Some of them actually go to the extent of saying they are temples. Or, yes, temples. So what's interesting is that here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah At-Tawbah is speaking about a masjid built by the hypocrites. And Allah actually says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخِذُوا مَسْجِدًا Those who have taken or built a masjid ضِرَارًا Seeking harm وَكُفْرًا And in disbelief وَتَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And to create division between the believers. وَإِرْصَادًا لِمَنْ حَارَبَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ مِنْ قَبْلِ And as a garrison, and to gather and garrison those who have fought against Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So subhanAllah, Allah says of this masjid that the people who built it are hypocrites. Why did they build the masjid? With the express intention of harming the Muslims. And they didn't build it with iman, they built it with disbelief, wa And they, did, they never built it to unify the Muslims. Allah expressly says, to create a division between the believers. And not only that, what could be worse than what follows? They didn't just build it as a false place of worship, it was actually a military garrison where, if you know the background of the story, the Abu Amir al-Rahib and his followers, they actually built this masjid to hoard weapons and to train and to garrison those hypocrites who, and those insurgents who would actually launch a physical attack against Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims, and for this masjid to serve as a garrison and as an advanced quarter for the invading enemies from around the city of Medina, including the Byzantine Romans. So, 
even it was actually a military garrison, albeit small. Despite all of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still calls it a masjid. Of course, it's not a true masjid. Allah still calls it a masjid. A lesson, subhanAllah, for those who refuse to call a masjid a masjid simply because they disagree with one or two views of some of those who frequent that masjid. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyyil azim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us sense. In fact, it's telling that out of the 50 masjids, just because someone goes to one masjid and disagrees with all of the other 49 and refuses to acknowledge them, accept them, or even call them masjids, it's an interesting question. Could, be, could it be that the masjid he is going to is actually masjid al-dirar? A masjid of harm, a masjid which causes and creates divisions between the believers. I'm not saying it is, I'm saying it's a thing to think about. Could it be? Because are they creating unity or division over minor things? And the remarkable thing is that such people won't, dis won't just disagree with the other 49 masajid, they'll disagree with probably 90%, if not more, of the people who frequent their own masjid. And this is a true story. One brother met uh, someone from a city in the UK. Now, many, many years ago, many years ago, not now, many years ago, when I heard this story, at that time, there were 11 or more masjids in that one city. And, the mus and, and that city had a population of many, many thousands of Muslims. Many thousands. If you had 11 masjids then... How many thousands of Muslims would be in that city? So, one brother, he met someone from that city who came to his city. So, as people meet, Salaamu Alaikum Wa Alaikum Salaam, where are you from? I'm from such and such a place. Oh, MashaAllah, are there many Muslims there? How many Muslims there? So, when he met him, he said, uh, uh, So, where are you from? He mentioned the city. And he said, how many Muslims in your city? So he paused. He actually paused for thought. And then he said, two. Wallahi, he said, two. Two Muslims. <coughs> this is why I'm saying that they refuse to even call the masjid a masjid. So anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Speaking of this masjid and mentioning all of these things, Allah continues that despite having built this masjid with this intention, they will that they will surely swear in the name of Allah, by Allah, we only sought to do good. And Allah testifies that indeed they are lies. So what these verses show is that throughout the Holy Quran, Allah often refers to the hypocrites with their first trait, which is they are liars, they are lies. Allah testifies they are lies. And it makes no difference whether they just say something or whether they repeatedly swear in the name of Allah and emphasize their oaths. It doesn't matter even when they swear in the name of Allah repeatedly, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he testifies that they are liars, they are liars. So lying is a first trait of hypocrisy. It truly is. Lying is destructive. Lying destroys. Lying destroys lives. Lying destroys marriages. Lying destroys peace. Lying destroys barakah. Barakah. Imam Bukhari and others, Imam Muslim as well, and others relate a very beautiful hadith. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Al Bayyani bil khiyari malam yadfarraqa. Fa in sadaqa wa bayyana burika lahuma fi bayyihma wa in katama wa in kathaba wa katama muhikat. Prophet said, when two traders, two traders both have a choice to revoke their trade as long as they do not part. This is a huge legal discussion. And I actually explained it in its entirety in thorough detail many years ago in my commentary of Sahih al-Bukhari. But... Moving on to the next part of the hadith, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said, two traders, they retain the choice of revoking their trade as long as they do not part. But then the next part of the hadith is, if they both speak the truth and clarify, meaning make clear the true nature of their products. For in sadaqa So if someone is selling something, you sell it's a duty of a Muslim that when you sell something you inform the other person of any shortcomings any flaws any defects in your product it's your religious duty so the Prophet said if they both speak the truth and clarify make clear any shortcomings any defects in their goods, then what happens? Allah blesses their trade. But if they both lie and conceal the defects in their goods, the barakah, the blessing of their trade is destroyed. Truth creates barakah. Lying destroys so much. It destroys from the smallest of things. When two people sell, that trade, that transaction may take a minute. But if it's done with honesty, that will be a minute full of barakah, which will create barakah and blessings for a, for a good time. But that one minute of trading... If it's done with falsehood, with lying, with concealment, with dishonesty, then even the blessing of that one minute is destroyed. One can, there is no hope of any barakah to come thereafter. So lying destroys barakah blessings in one's income, one's livelihood. In fact, in one hadith, Rasulullah, because uh, trade, trade is all about making money. Make a quick buck. Make a quick penny. Get as much as you can. 
Our love of wealth, our love of dunya drives us to do this. It's a dog-eats-dog world. And in trade, it's very difficult. This is why once Prophet ﷺ came out and he passed by the market traders with a few of his companions. And he called out to them and he said, Ya ma'ashar al-tujjar. He said, oh, assembly of traders. Indeed, all traders shall be raised on the day of judgment as fujjar. Traders will be resurrected as sinful people on the day of reckoning. So the rule will be that every trader will be resurrected as a sinful person. That's the rule. The exception is except one who fears Allah and who is virtuous, righteous, and who speaks the truth. So the norm is falsehood in trade, lying, cheating, deceiving. And the exception is honesty and truthfulness. This is why the Prophet ﷺ called out to them and said, O assembly of traders, indeed traders shall be raised as sinful people on the day of reckoning. Except one who fears Allah and who speaks the truth and is righteous. And in another hadith, Prophet said, Indeed, the honest, truthful, trustworthy trader will be with the prophets and the Siddiqi on the day of judgment. So, lying destroys barakah in trade. And not just destroying blessings in trade and in one's wealth and in one's livelihood. Lying destroys lives. Lying destroys marriages. Lying rips apart families. Lying rips apart nations. How many wars have been launched and fought? How many countries have been invaded? How many administrations and regimes have been dismantled? All on the basis of lies. How many lives have been taken on the basis of lives? Lying is destructive, both in the dunya as well as in the akhirah. And a believer, no matter how difficult it is, a believer doesn't lie. In the short term, sometimes lying is speaking the truth is costly. But that's just with creation. It's just with, in the dunya, but in the long term and with the creator, lying is costly. Speaking the truth is profitable. It truly is. When he speaks, he lies. Personality disorders. Those people who suffer, or maybe not suffer, but who are sociopathic, psychopathic, narcissistic, histrionic, borderline, and all of these other 
personality disorders. One of the common traits in many of these personality disordered people is lying. They lie. In fact, one of the names given to lying in the personality disorders uh, is Munchausen syndrome. There was a German Lord Baron Munchausen, and he was inclined to, although he was rich and aristocratic, still, none of that was enough. He just had some desire, some need to lie all the time, to gain attention. And his table, sorry, his tales were so fabulous, so fantastic, that he became a legend. And he now has a whole personality disorder named after him, Munchausen syndrome. So people who love lying just to win, gain attraction, gain attention, and their lies are fantastical, ludicrous, truly out of this world. And they have no basis, not a kernel of truth. When they exhibit such behaviours, some of them are diagnosed with Munchausen syndrome. So... Many of these personality disorders, a common theme in them is lying. Because, as I said at the beginning, lying isn't just about speaking lies. Lying is a reflection of the emptiness, the hollowness, the insincerity of a person's character. A person's core character is warped. It's empty, it's insincere, it's false. And this falsehood exhibits itself in behaviour and, of course, in speech, which means lying. Liars will lie. Allahu Akbar. And Prophet said this is a first of the signs of a hypocrite. We have been warned against lying. Lying is truly destructive in one hadith by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and this is a wording of Muslim from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Alaykum bis sidq, fa inna sidq yahdi ila al-birr, wa inna al-birr yahdi ila al-jannah, wa ma yizal al-rajul yasduq, wa yitaharru al-sidq hatta yuktub inda Allahi siddiqa. Beautiful hadith. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, adhere to the truth. For indeed, truth guides to virtue, and virtue guides to Jannah. And a man speaks the truth. And seeks out the truth. Do you know what that means? A true person will speak the truth. And a true person will stand up for the truth. A true person will identify with the truth. And a true person will seek out. He will respond to the truth. He will identify with the truth. He will react to the truth. And if he can't find the truth, he will seek out, search, strive to attain the truth. 
And when he does all of this, the Prophet said he continues to do this. Until he is registered and recorded by Allah as a Siddiq, a truly voracious individual. By Allah, he is registered and recorded as a Siddiq. And then the Prophet continues. فَإِنَّ الْكَذِبَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْفُجُورِ وَإِنَّ الْفُجُورَ يَهْدِي إِلَى النَّارِ وَمَا يَزَالُ الرَّجُلَ يَكْذِبُ وَيَتَحَرَّ الْكَذِبَ حَتَّى يُكْتَبَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَذَّابًا And beware of lying, for lying leads to sin, and sinning leads to the fire, and a man continues to lie and seek out lying. What does that mean? When a person lies and lies and lies, their whole character becomes false. If it was partially false before, now it becomes completely false. The person's a liar. They love lying. They identify with lies. They stand up for falsehood and for lies. And if they can't find falsehood, they go out seeking falsehood. They strive to attain falsehood. They respond to falsehood. They react to falsehood. In fact, Allah mentions in the Qur'an, speaking of the hypocrites, يَا أَيُّهَا الرَّسُولُ لَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينِ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا آمَنَّا بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ وَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قُلُوبُهُمْ O Prophet, do not be grieved by those who race in disbelief. From amongst those who have said with their tongues, we have believed, but their hearts have not yet believed. So who are they? The hypocrites. Allah says of them twice in the following verses, سَمَّاعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ سَمَّاعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ And in the next verse, سَمَّاعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ أَكَّالُونَ لِلْسُحْتِ What's the meaning of سَمَّاعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ? It's a superlative. They are excessively, they are ones who excessively listen to, who excessively listen to what? Lying. What does that mean? It fits in with These hypocrites, because their nature was one of falsehood, they weren't just satisfied by lying. Just as the true react to the truth, and the true are attracted to the truth, and the truth appeals to the true. The false are attracted to falsehood. Like moths to the fire. They react to falsehood. They are magnets to each other. Lying and falsehood is a magnet for the hypocrites. So, they excessively listen to lying. They respond to lying. It's, it, they are so sick. You know how sometimes some people are sick? Healthy food doesn't appeal to them. If they eat healthy food, what happens? A man came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, it's Hadith Bukhari and others. My brother's stomach, my brother's unwell, he has a problem with his stomach. Prophet said to him, Isqihil Asal, feed him honey. So the man went fed his brother honey, came back and said, Ya Rasulullah, it's made the problem worse. 
Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him twice, second time, Isqihil Asal, feed him honey. He went back, fed him honey, came back and said, Ya Rasulullah, it's made the problem worse. Eventually, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, Isqihil Asal, Sadaqallah wa kathab batma akhik. Feed him honey, Allah has spoken the truth and your brother's stomach has lied. Allah has spoken the truth meaning there is a cure in honey. So, and your brother's stomach has lied, meaning it's false. So, when a person's healthy, they react well to healthy food. And their healthy bodies reject unhealthy food. SubhanAllah. Uh, a fact of nutrition, healthy people, very healthy people who eat healthily, when they eat junk food, their bodies react very badly, very badly. In fact, I was listening to an interview by a scientist recently, and the scientist was explaining about his healthy manner of eating. So the interviewer asked him, what about if you have a cheat day and you break, you take a break? So he said, I can't do it anymore. Because whenever I have a cheat day and I eat unhealthily, and he was speaking about eating extremely late, he said, the next day I have problems. So healthy bodies reject unhealthy food. And unhealthy bodies do not respond very well to healthy food. They have to be conditioned and trained. They have to be rehabilitated. So similarly, False people react very well to falsehood. They react terribly to the truth. They are attracted to falsehood. Lies unto lies. This is the meaning of samma'una lil kadhib. They listen excessively to lying. And the hadith is, a man continues to lie, ويتحر الكذب and seek out lying. So liars, even where there's no need for them to lie, they lie. Remarkably, Many of these serial liars, what happens with them is that they become so accustomed to lying that sometimes, even though the only thing that will save them is the truth, they still lie, destroying any prospects for themselves. They lie by sheer habits. So this is the meaning of the hadith, a man continues to lie and seek out lying with until he is registered as an extreme liar with Allah. Lying is destructive. And the sin of lying is not meager, it truly isn't. It's not meager at all. Lying can cause so much damage. Look at the story of Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. One lie, one lie. And it ignited a fire that engulfed the whole of the city of Medinatul Munawwara. It consumed the city. It consumed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It truly did. Even Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha felt helpless. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam visited her. He was standing there. Sorry, he was there. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was there. Her father and mother were there. He asked her, 
she said to her father and mother, Answer the messenger of Allah, meaning I'm your daughter. You are my father and mother. You answer on my behalf. And father and mother said, what can we say? That one lie had hurt, had suffocated, had silenced. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha had silenced her father, her mother. It had consumed even the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. truly. He was very disturbed, very perturbed. And he remained so for almost a whole month. That one lie, do you know what it did? Prophet ﷺ stood on the minbar in the masjid and said, Who will relieve me of a man who has hurt me even in my family? One man stood up and said, Ya Rasulullah, tell us who he is. And we shall deal with him. If he is one of us, then we shall deal with him. And if he is one of the other tribe, we shall deal with him. We shall still deal with him. So someone from the other tribe stood up and said, He has spoken falsely. If he is from our tribe, how can they deal with a man from our tribe? So the other uh, Sahabi said, you are a liar. Sorry, he said that you are a hypocrite. You defend the hypocrites. And then supporters and opponents from both tribes stood up in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The words of the hadith of Bukhari is, And it was close that both of these sub-tribes of Aus and Khazraj were about to battle with each other in the masjid. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was standing on the mimbar trying to calm them and pacify them. Can you imagine such a scene in your local masjid? Can you imagine such a scene in your local masjid? There would be an uproar, it would be scandalous. When two people argue in a masjid, we joke about it and at the same time we tut-tut and we pontificate in judgment and we say, look at him, no shame, arguing in the masjid, raising their voices and there's just two people. This was the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There was such a din and clamor. They were about to draw swords in the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ is calming them. What caused this? What caused this? One lie. One lie. Lying destroys. And anyone who is guilty of lying, it's not a meager punishment. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sahih. After Fajr, Prophet would normally ask the Sahaba, have any of you seen a dream? If they saw a dream, they would relate it. If they saw a dream, they would relate it. Otherwise, the Prophet, if he had seen something, he would relate it. Otherwise, they would remain silent or they would speak about something else, but no dreams. That's remarkable in itself. You had so many Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and they were who they were. The Prophet who would say to them, have any of you seen a dream? It wasn't very frequent that they would say, I've seen a dream, and he would relate it. So sometimes no one would relate any dream. The Prophet would relate his own dream. Sometimes he wouldn't relate a dream either. No one would relate a dream. 
and they were the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum and that was Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they were sitting after Fajr Salah in, masjid, in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allahu Adam, Allah knows what we eat, but in this day and age we all seem to be having miraculous pious dreams every single day. And we interpret them as well, very piously. Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma he would never see dreams, even though he would sleep in the masjid. He would spend the whole day hovering around the Prophet ﷺ, in and out of his sister's house. He was his brother-in-law. He was married to his sister. So he would be hovering around the Messenger ﷺ, watching him, listening to him, talking to him, serving him, waiting upon him, attending to his needs. He would be in and out of his sister's house. And then at night he would actually sleep in the masjid to be close to the Messenger of Allah. <laughs> and he still wouldn't see a dream So he actually made dua to Allah Oh Allah, if there is any good in me If there is any good in me Show me a good dream so that I can share it With the Messenger of Allah Hadith of Bukhari He saw a very beautiful long dream The angels took him on a tour And he actually flew in the dream He flew He was elated He shared the dream with his sister who informed the Prophet ﷺ. And then later he shared the dream with the Prophet ﷺ himself. But when the Prophet ﷺ first heard the dream from his sister, what was the interpretation of Rasulullah ﷺ for this beautiful dream that Ibn Umar saw in the masjid of Rasulullah ﷺ? Allahu Akbar. He didn't give a long, fanciful explanation. The Prophet ﷺ said, Abdullah is a very good man. If only he would pray at night. Allah. That's all. That was the interpretation of the dream. Abdullah is a very good man. If only he would pray at night. So the Prophet ﷺ, one morning after Fajr, he asked the Sahaba, عنهم, do you see anyone seeing a dream? He then related his own dream. None of them had seen one, so he related his own dream. Part of that dream was that the angels, two angels had come to him. And they took him for a tour of the heavens. And they passed by many different people. One, it's a very long dream, I'll just mention this part. One of the people, this was the scene. So the Prophet ﷺ is with two angels. It's a hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari. Two angels, the Prophet ﷺ, they passed by a man. The man was lying in the ground, on the ground, on his back. And there was another man standing over him. And the other man had a hook. And what he would do is that he'd place the hook in the mouth of the man lying on the ground and pull his whole jaw and mouth until it was stretched to the back of his head. And he would fix it there. Then he'd put the hook in his nose and stretch it, sorry, in his eyes, and stretch his eye socket all the way to the back of the head and fix it there. Then he would take it, the hook and place it in the nostril and pull his nose nostril all the way to the back and fix it to the back of his head. It's graphic and gruesome. 
These are the words of the hadith. He'd do that on one side, then the man would walk around to the other side and repeat the whole procedure. Jaw and mouth to the back of the head. Eye socket to the back of the head with the hook. Nostril to the back of the head with the hook. When he would finish on the left-hand side, by the time he finished on the left-hand side, the mouth and jaw and eye socket and nose from the right side would be restored to its original position. So when he finished on the left, he would go back to the right and repeat the whole procedure. Then he'd go to the left, by which time that had been restored, and he'd just keep on doing this. So when the Prophet ﷺ saw this, he actually exclaimed loudly and said, SubhanAllah. He said, SubhanAllah, what is the story with these two? So the, the angel said to him, Intaliq, intaliq, carry on walking, carry on walking, all shall be explained to you later. Later, the Prophet ﷺ, after seeing, witnessing so much, he said to them, now tell me the reality of all that I was shown and that I saw. So they mentioned every group of people, and then they said, as for that man whose jaw and whose eyes and whose nose were being pulled by the hook to the back of the head and who was being continued, uh, punished continuously, he said, that is a man who left home in the morning and then uttered a lie. And others heard that lie and they carried his lie until it reached the horizons. SubhanAllah. That, and the angel said, he will continue to be punished like this till Yawmul Qiyamah. It's a hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari. The sin of lying is not meager. Allah protect us from lying. Lying doesn't achieve anything. It destroys. It destroys marriages, families, blessings, wealth, livelihood, barakah. And most importantly, it destroys a person's soul. It destroys a person's akhirah. Moving on to the next sin. Next trait of hypocrisy. First is when he speaks, he lies. Number two, when he promises, he contravenes that promise. All of these traits, as I said, stem from dishonesty, from a lack of truth in a person's character, and from falsehood. And a hypocrite, when he makes a promise, he has no intention of, making that, of fulfilling that promise. It's a lie from the very outset. It's a tool, it's a mechanism, it's a ruse to get what he wants as immediate short-term gain. The fulfillment of promises is a mark of a believer. It's an obligation upon the believer. A believer does not break his promise. However, it's also clearly mentioned in the hadith that if a person makes a promise with the intention of, of fulfilling that promise, and then for whatever reason they are unable to fulfill that promise, then what do you, then that person is not sinful. So, if the failure to fulfill the promise is inadvertent or beyond one's control and is unintentional, then a person is not sinful. But one of the most famous signs of a hypocrite is 
He makes promise after promise after promise and never fulfills them. Never ever fulfills them. Why? Because it's a lie. The promise was a lie from the very outset. There was no intention of fulfilling it. So we as believers, when we make a promise, never make a promise that you can't fulfill. Simple. You would rather the other person be offended than Allah be offended. You would rather offend someone in the creation and tell them that, look, unfortunately, I'm unable to do this for you. Please forgive me. Rather than make a false promise. By doing so, you offend, you won't offend him immediately. But you will offend him later because you, you won't fulfill it. So he'll be even more hurt. So you will have ended up offending him as well as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the very beginning. Do not ever promise what you cannot fulfill. And if you do make a promise, then have every intention of fulfilling that promise. A lot can be said about fulfilling promises. And the reason I say there is a distinction between this and the next thing I'm going to mention later about pledging and betraying pledges is that there is a distinction. Fulfilling promises, sometimes we make small promises. I'll do this, I won't do this. And we break that promise. A pledge is something much greater. Moving on to the next point of the hadith. Wait that Tumina Khan, when he is entrusted with a trust, he betrays that trust. Believers fulfill their trusts. And a trust can be anything, an amana can be anything. Wealth, if someone lends you money, that's amana. You have to pay that back. If someone stores something with you for safekeeping, that's amana. You have to give it back. You have to honour that trust. Sometimes it's not even material. Someone trusts you, places their trust in you. They give you the keys to their house. Please look after my house in my absence. That's a trust. They've trusted you. Honour that trust. Fulfil that trust. In every way. Look after their property. Do you know what part of that trust is? Just as a practical example. If they've given you the keys to the house. And they've requested you. Can you please. Just. Switch on the lights. Check the doors. And check and ensure that everything's okay. You go in and you do only as much as they have requested you to. You don't touch anything else. That's khiyana. Because they've trusted you. They trust you to lock, open and lock the front door. And they trust you not to open the bedroom door. You don't go around the house looking and checking at, looking at and checking everything. Even out of curiosity. That is lowly despicable behaviour. And it's an act of betrayal. Even that's a manna. That's a trust. So there's no exchange of wealth or money. They just told you to look after their property. In fact, not just that. If you confide in someone, 
Not Sunamana, Imam Abu Dawud and Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhim both relate a hadith that when one man speaks to another, when one man speaks to another and then turns away, their conversation is now an amana between them, a trust between them. If someone's spoken to you, and it's obvious by con from the context that that discussion, that conversation is private, the person doesn't need to make you swear an oath in the name of Allah that you won't repeat this to anyone. They shouldn't have to. The hadith says, if when a man speaks to another man and then turns away, their conversation now becomes a trust. The context itself will determine that this is something private. You do not share that with anyone. You do not divulge that to anyone. We have a saying in English, that a secret is a secret between three people as long as two of them are dead. And only one of them knows, but it won't be long before it won't be a secret any longer because he'll have that itch of sharing it with someone else. We don't share our conversations, our private exchanges with anyone. And it, it's lowly, despicable behavior. And it's so silly. We are 50, 60 years old and we whisper to the other person. Sometimes they're they're, they're out in public, maybe taking a walk in the park. There's no one around for a mile. And the person still leans over dramatically to the other person and says, let me tell you something. Don't mention it to anyone. And they're sitting in the middle of the park. That's acting like children. And then, promise me, Promise me. And then they'll exchange. SubhanAllah. Lowly despicable behavior. If someone speaks to you in private, they don't have to tell you it's confidential. The context should reveal it itself. They shouldn't have to solicit oaths in the name of Allah from you that you won't repeat this to anyone. And we are so lowly and despicable in this regard that often we swear in the name of Allah that we won't share it with anyone and then we still do Imam Bukhari relates a beautiful hadith an Imam Muslim from Anas ibn Malik and listen to this he was a child wallahi he was a child and listen to this hadith he says I was playing with the other children Prophet called me, he summoned me, I went to him. He sent me on an errand. He was a child, he said I was playing with the other children. Prophet sent me on an errand. So I went. I got delayed in that errand. So I came home late. So my mother, Umm Sulaim, she asked me, where were you? Why did you get delayed? He said, I went on an errand for the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu Now this is a conversation between a mother and her own son. And son is maybe 
10, 12 years old. He was playing with children, he himself said. Imagine any similar conversation between mother and child. Simple. The child comes home late. Where were you? Oh, I had to go and do something. What? Where? So she said, where were you? He said, I had to go on an errand for the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu The mother asked him, what errand? He said, I can't reveal it to you. I can't reveal it to you. The Prophet sent me on a private errand. I can't reveal it to you. What was the response of the mother? Son and mother were the product of the group of the Messenger of Allah. The son said to his own mother, I can't reveal it to you. What did the mother say? The mother said to him, Oh my child, do not ever, ever reveal the secrets of the Messenger of Allah to anyone. End of conversation. When Anas related this hadith to his students, he actually told them, I have never shared the secret of the Messenger of Allah with anyone. If I would, I would have done it with my mother, but even with my mother, I never revealed the secret. Aman, trust. And that was a child. A child behaves so precociously, so much like a wise adult beyond his years. That was Anas ibn Malik and We, in our old age, we behave like children. That is part of amanah. Allah says in the Holy Quran, Inna Allah ya'murukum an tu'addu al-amanati ila ahliha. O believers, verily Allah commands you to return items of trust to their rightful owners. Do you know a beautiful story about this? Makkah al-Mukarramah, when it was conquered in the eighth year of Hijrah, prior to the conquest of Makkah, the Arabs had various responsibilities and privileges related to the Kaaba and Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Rifada, Sidana, Siqaya. Siqaya meant watering the pilgrims. Sidana meant the custody of the Kaaba. And these were great privileges. So they were actually divided between clans. So one clan, Banu Hashim, the clan of Rasulullah sallallahu had the responsibility and the privilege of watering the pilgrims. It was a thing of great honor for them. So they would have control over, the, over Zamzam and watering the pilgrims, providing water for them, etc. The custody of the Kaaba and the meaning of the custody of the Kaaba, clothing the Kaaba, guarding the Kaaba, cleaning the Kaaba, keeping the keys to the doors of the Kaaba. That was in another clan. At the time of the conquest of Mecca, Mecca was conquered. The Prophet victorious, stood in Al-Masjid Al-Haram. And he called Shaybah. 
he said to him, give me the keys of the Kaaba. So initially he was reluctant. The Prophet said, give me the keys of the Kaaba. So he gave the keys of the Kaaba. The Prophet had the Kaaba opened. Then he went in. When he came out, Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, who was from Banu Hashim. And Banu Hashim had the privilege of watering the pilgrims. And who was the most senior person of Banu Hashim? Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, meaning, uh, because the Prophet was in Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara, Abbas was still in Mecca. So Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, he was the one in charge of watering the pilgrims. So he said to the Prophet وسلم, and so did Ali They said, Ya Rasulullah, combine the privilege of siqayah, meaning watering the pilgrims, and the custody of the Kaaba in our clan, our family. I.e., we've now conquered Mecca. You can do what you wish. Therefore, let us also keep the keys to the Kaaba. And we be the guardians and the custodians of the Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed the Prophet وسلم, to return the keys of the Kaaba to Shayba. And the Prophet وسلم, recited this verse Inna Allah amanati ila ahliha. Indeed, Allah commands you to return items of trust to their rightful owners. This is why the keys were given back to Shayba. In fact, till this day, the keys of the Kaaba are still held in the clan of Shaiba. Items of trust. A believer returns trust, fulfills the requirements of trust. Amana. A believer is Amin, a believer is trustworthy. Whether that trust is to do with wealth, property, money, secrets, confidentiality. Privacy, it doesn't matter. A believer is trustworthy. Let us strive to achieve that level of trust, especially in confidentiality and privacy. The next trait, when he pledges, he betrays, he deceives, he proves to be treasonous. This, as I said, is distinct from fulfilling a promise. Fulfilling a promise can be in small things, but a pledge is when you come to an agreement. When you make an agreement, you honor that agreement. You fulfill and honor that pledge. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and fulfill the pledge of Allah when you do make a pledge. And I mentioned in that verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, what is one of the attributes of those who are true and those who are, who are the people of taqwa? Those who fulfill their pledge when they do make a pledge. And in a verse of Surah Al-Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those believers who shall inherit the gardens of paradise. Of them, Allah says, Those who are conscious and mindful of their trusts as well as their pledges. 
those who are conscious and mindful of their pledges and their promises and of their trusts. A lot can be said about this. A believer, when he makes a promise, he fulfills a promise. But also, even more importantly, when he makes a pledge, when he comes to an agreement, when he has a contract, he honours and fulfills that pledge, that agreement and that contract. He does not deceive, he does not betray, he is not treasonous. These are the signs of a hypocrite because this stems from the falsehood and the emptiness of a hypocrite's character. And finally, when he disputes his sins. Very simple explanation. Disagreements are a fact of life. We all disagree. Parents and children disagree. Siblings disagree. Spouses disagree. We all disagree with each other. Teachers and students disagree. Scholars disagree. And not just disagreement of opinion. Sometimes our conflicting nature. A human being is very unstable. Very unstable. Forget anyone else. A person doesn't agree with oneself. One minute you want this, the next minute you want that. One minute you want this, you get it, then you want something else. And that's you. That's just me. As individuals, we are unstable. We don't know what we want. We are very confused. Extremely confused. As a poet says, the small one wants to be old, and the old wants to be young. The unemployed seeks employment, and the employed is tired of his employment. The one of wealth is in fatigue and pain. And also in pain is one who is poor. So are they bewildered and confused by these different fates? Or have they themselves confused and bewildered fate itself? What do we want? We as individuals are confused within ourselves. We're unstable. We don't know what we want. One thing one time, something else the next time. So if we are unstable and contradictory and unable to please ourselves with ourselves, then imagine when this dynamic is with other people, two confused people coming together, each expect, having expectations of the other. We will always disappoint. We will disappoint ourselves. We will disappoint each other. As a result, there are so many clashes, so many forces, we will disagree, not just in opinion, we will fall out. We will have our strong disagreements. That's a fact of life. What Islam tells us is to behave honourably, even in disagreement, even in conflict. And that means that we behave nobly. We do not sin. So what's the meaning of when he disputes his sins? 
Well, one of the meanings of he sins is he's abusive. He's foul mouth. That's one. And then it carries on. He extends the disagreement. He sins in that disagreement. So if, for instance, two people, they have a disagreement about land. So, this belongs to me. No, this belongs to you. Uh, this belongs to me. Okay. Maybe that disagreement is about land. But soon they become so vindictive, so bitter, so retaliatory, that they try to hurt each other, battle with each other, accuse each other in so many other ways. And the original disagreement is actually lost. It's buried under many other layers of conflict, of abuse, of sin. Another manifestation of when you have a disagreement with someone else, you can manage them and resolve that difference. However, if you extend that disagreement, so your disagreement is, one, is with one person, you then say, right, anything or anyone connected to this individual is also my enemy. In fact, even that person doesn't have to be your enemy. I related the hadith recently. Prophet ﷺ heard two people arguing. Came out, he saw two Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They were arguing. The reason they were arguing was their voices were raised. One of them had lent money to the other person. That person wasn't paying back. He was pressing him to pay back. So they disagreed about wealth. Prophet, when he heard them, he said to the other person, the debtor, the one who owed money, he said, Sorry, the one uh, to the creditor, the Sahabi radiallahu anhu, he said to him, listen. And he pointed to him, just from his chamber, outside the chamber. He said, meaning drop half of your demand. He motioned with his hands. He said, drop half of your demand. So whatever you are owed, forgive half of it. Instantly. The Sahabi radiallahu his displeasure, his anger disappeared. And he said, of course, Ya Rasulullah, straight away. When he had shed half of he, what, what he had been owed, his rightful demand, Prophet sallallahu said to the other person, now you rise, go to him and pay your due. The man rose, went to him and fulfilled what he had to fulfill. So... Disagreements are a fact of life, but they can be managed and they can be resolved. And even the person with whom you have a disagreement, even he doesn't have to be an enemy. You don't see him as an enemy. But what we tend to do is we see him as an, as an enemy. Anyone who's associated or connected with him is an enemy. And this is how we extend our disagreement and sin against everyone. We go beyond the bounds. We don't confine the disagreement to its own limits, to its original sphere. This is one of the meanings of Of course, there are many other manifestations. When he sinned, when he disputes, he sinned. 
A lot can be said, I'll end with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to avoid these traits of hypocrisy, of lying, of dishonesty, of treachery, of treason, of failing to fulfill our promises, of failing to honour and fulfil our pledges, and of not managing our disagreements properly. We all disagree. What Islam tells us is that in your disagreement, don't sin. Don't sin in your disagreement. Especially in marriage as well. Spouses will disagree. It's a fact of life. And what's the first, one of the first meanings of Fajr? Some ulama have actually not explained the word Fajr as sin. What they've said is, وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ Fajr When he disputes, he is foul-mouthed. They've actually said that, that that's the meaning of Fajr, he is foul-mouthed. What happens in marriages, spouses, they disagree. When they disagree, they argue. When they argue, they abuse each other. And that abuse is meaningless, it's uncalled for, it's hurtful, it's sinful. And that's within marriage. A, that is not the trait of a mu'min. That's a trait of a munafiq. A mu'min disagrees, but manages that disagreement. May Allah enable all of us to do so. Wasallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadwa la ilaha illa anta staghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.